Straight cash, homie. Would you please break a damn story? He took it out. Oh, for you. It's a Friday PFTPM. You know what that means. If you pay attention to the PFTPM podcast schedule in season, we have settled into a rhythm where we have the PFTOT that also serves as PFTPM on Monday. Then Tuesday, it's the awards show. Then Wednesday, it's often, if not always, another PFTPM slash PFTOT, and then it's the joint Chris Sims Unbuttoned PFTPM podcast on Thursday with our picks, and Friday is I go through and answer any and all questions that I can, and I usually set it up to begin around 3 p.m. Eastern, because that to be done by 4 p.m. Eastern, so I have an hour allocated, and I see 55, we'll see how it's going here, 55. PFTPM Posse. Let's get right into it. I got nothing to say other than let's get right into it. Since the only thing that matters about Jets versus Giants is whether or not the cat shows up, why don't you have a cat in the Florio household and how is Florio Macy doing? First, I don't like cats. Second, I'm allergic to cats. Third, Macy's fine. I don't know what Macy would do with a cat. I don't think she would like, you know, try to kill it or anything she's just very friendly she goes nuts when people show up any t- i'm not in a bad way she just wants to play i think that's how she'd be with a cat but we're never going to find out no cats i just don't like cats i don't know why people like cats i mean i'm not anti-cat i don't want all cats to be dead cats are fine i just personally don't like them Another one from PFTP and Posse. Can teams trade players for virtually nothing? Could the Rams have traded Tlaib for $1 to keep him from a contender if he was healthy? You can trade for whatever you want to trade for. This isn't like a fantasy league where there's a a way that you can reject a trade. And if enough people object, then it doesn't happen. And the Rams wanted to dump the salary. They wanted to dump the $4.235 million. They were able to send a fifth-round pick and willing to send a fifth-round pick to the Dolphins in order for the Dolphins to take on the $4.235 million. The Dolphins send a seventh-round pick in 2022 back to balance it out. You know, that's always this very intricate and detailed effort to balance it out. Yeah, you can trade a guy for whatever you want to trade a guy for. If you want to do it, if you're willing to subject yourself to the public ridicule that would come from it, you can do it. Another one from PFT and Posse. Man, you're hogging all the questions. I think there's only two more. And this one actually comes from SARS Monster 15 by way of the PFT PM Posse, which future Hall of Fame quarterback will hang it up for good this season. Any chance Cam retires? I think there's a chance Cam retires. If he just can't get healthy. If he's sick of getting healthy and then getting injured again. I mean, that's the problem. It's not getting healthy. It's staying healthy. And like Andrew Luck, there's a point where you just have had enough. I don't know that Eli Manning is a future Hall of Famer. What will he do? Who's going to offer him a starting job? 
I think Eli Manning will be done. Philip Rivers will keep playing. I don't know if he's a Hall of Famer either. Drew Brees, I think, is done. I think Drew Brees is retiring. That's just my guess. I never know anything. Life's easier that way. I think Drew Brees retires. Cam Newton, we'll see. I've been throwing Cam Newton to the Chargers out there. The Chargers need to make moves that are substance and style aimed at selling tickets and winning football games. You can't just take the position that building a winning team is good enough. You have to find a way to make moves that will make people say, wow, how about the Chargers? Let's buy Chargers tickets. Let's buy Chargers jerseys. Let's be Chargers fans. Dr. J144, should the Jets and Giants loser this weekend be forced to fire their coach and interview Ben McAdoo? It would be funny if there was a wager like that. Wouldn't that make the game interesting? If the two coaches said, hey, this is basically a duel. This town ain't big enough for the both of us. I don't know who I'm imitating there. Just sounds right. This town ain't big enough for the both of us. So whoever wins stays and whoever loses has to go. Of the two, which guy is more likely between Pat Shermer and Adam Gase to get fired? I sense a lot of dysfunction around the Jets. And Gase just kind of has this attitude of, I don't really care. Like, I don't care. I don't, I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about well, you should be. It feels like the Jets are more under siege than the Giants. But Ben McAdoo, he of the Giants suit and the head of Brill Cream, he did better with the Giants than Shermer is. At what point do you just come to the conclusion that Shermer isn't good enough to be an NFL head coach? At what point do you come to the conclusion that Gase isn't? At least Gase took a team to the playoffs. Playoffs? I still think Woody Johnson, when he comes back from being the ambassador of the UK, is going to fire everybody and bring back Rex Ryan. Wouldn't that be something? Dr. J144 points out that he wants to see McAdoo in that suit again and coaching in that stadium with used car salesman hair. It's not even used car salesman hair. I don't know what that is. And I know it's incredibly superficial to make fun of someone's hair. But as I said during the final year of Ben McAdoo's employment, he presumably looks in the mirror every day. He chooses he chooses to take a comb, dip it in grease, and 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 do that thing that just, you know, it doesn't work. Some things work and some things don't. The greased back hair look worked for Pat Riley in the 80s. It didn't work for Ben McAdoo now or ever. And I, I'll never forget the giant suit. It's the only suit he had because he lost a bunch of weight. Well, you know what? Get a new suit. Don't wear a suit. Borrow a suit. Delay the press conference until you can go find a suit. But don't put that thing on. It's ridiculous. He was wearing a trash bag. And I wish I would have been more forceful at the time with my prediction that this guy's just not going to make it. He doesn't get it. 
oh, I don't care about appearance. Well, you care enough to put on a suit. You don't care enough to put on a suit that fits, but you care enough to at least put on a suit. It's better to wear not a suit that fits than to wear this giant trash bag pajama-looking suit. All right, enough of that. Fittison Kane, after looking great against the Cowboys, is it possible Sam Darnold was karmazied by the Patriots' defense the next week? Is this something Gase and the coaches can fix? Are they even the right people for the job? And, of course, the reference to being karmazied refers to Giovanni Carmazzi, the third-round pick out of Hofstra in 2000, the same year that Tom Brady was the sixth-round pick in New England. As Steve Mariucci, the former 49ers coach, tells it, Giovanni Carmazzi was ruined in the Hall of Fame game by the Patriots' defense. That after that, he just could never play. It is weird that Carmazzi was the AFC Offensive Player of the Week, not Carmazzi, Darnold, was the AFC Offensive Player of the Week for his work against the Cowboys and then got ruined. Did he get ruined? He hasn't been good since the night he saw ghosts. Lost to the Patriots, lost to the Jaguars, lost to the Dolphins. There's a lot of pressure on Darnold. We did the pressure cooker draft on PFT Live. And I think that for Darnold... Going up against the Giants with their franchise quarterback. Potentially, their rookie. Which one's better? Who's got the better quarterback? Who's in better position at that position moving forward? We thought it was the Jets. I remember the Giants were starting to get some questions like, oh, you took Saquon Barkley when you could have had Sam Darnold. Maybe you should have taken Sam Darnold. Then you wait a year and you get desperate and take Daniel Jones, this kid from Duke that can't play. Jones has looked better than Darnold this year. Now, Jones hasn't been the offensive player of the week in the NFC yet, but Jones overall has looked better. But the Giants have lost five in a row with Jones, and now the Jets have lost three in a row with Darnold. PFTPM Posse. Why do teams seem to only throw the back shoulder fade near the goal line? Why not try it at midfield or between, between, or between, 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 between the 20s? I can recall the Packers doing the back shoulder, not necessarily the fade. I, I, can, I, I the back shoulder, the back shoulder throw. It, 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 I don't think it's something that is never used away from the goal line. Paul Zulak, what are your thoughts on Matthew Burry's outburst on the Arizona Cardinals for not providing notice on David Johnson's playing status, followed by trolling a fantasy football fan? That was a few weeks ago, but that was the game where David Johnson was in the lineup. That was the Giants game. He was injured. He's cleared to play. Everybody put David Johnson, who had David Johnson, in their lineup, and then Chase Edmonds had a huge day because Johnson ultimately couldn't go. And then what set Matthew Berry off was the Arizona Cardinals tweeting something like, raise your hand if you had Chase Edmonds in your starting lineup today. Well, who would? Who would? Because David Johnson was cleared to play. And I can understand the frustration for the hardcore fantasy football addict, but I also look at it and say, well, these teams don't owe you anything. If the guy's ankle wasn't able to go, it wasn't able to go. Period. What are you supposed to do? 
And the people who are running the Twitter account, they, you're getting upset with them. It's not like it's the head coach who's putting this stuff out there. They, 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 they you know, they're just trying to have some fun. PFTPM Posse via RHC Two Face. What's up with Patricia Pasqualoni and their horrendous defense? A defensive-minded head coach with the worst defense. It's just a matter of taking time to get the right players. You got to get the right players. They're trying to get the right culture. I saw Quandre Diggs had some comments that he got traded because they 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 didn't like his voice in the locker room. And you know, look, just the fact that he's saying that publicly kind of confirms it. They're trying to create a patriot mindset there, and it takes time to get the right players. The question is, will Matt Patricia get enough time? The Lions could have won every game that they lost. They should have won the game that they tied. But then the games that they won, they also could have lost. It just feels like this team is chronically close to contention, has excuses for not contending. How long until ownership decides that the Matt Patricia Bob Quinn experiment is a failure and the team moves on in a different direction I hope they get more time the problem is you have an owner on the wrong side of 90 you never know when the Leon Hess mindset is going to take over it was Leon Hess the late Jets owner who basically said I I got to make some changes here because I don't have much longer to own this team And I know that can be interpreted as a crass remark, but let's face it. If you make it to 90, it's not like you got a 20-year plan in place then, right? I mean, on one hand, we should all be so fortunate to live that long because we all have that that one turn, that one opportunity to live as long as we can. But on the other hand, when you get to 90, it's gotta be like a, you know, I don't know. How much do you think about the clock ticking? How much do you think about? I don't know. I don't know. I I, I guess I hope I find out. I guess I hope it's a problem I have. It's better than the alternative. Anyway, I'm hoping that Quinn and Patricia get some more time, and I hope the media up there and the fans understand. Benjamin Fitzsimmons, dose, dose. Paul Benjamin Fitzsimmons, dose, dose. Do you think officials, let me try that again. Do you think officials being so involved in games is ruining the visceral reaction to football instead of a great play causing immediate excitement? Something happens and we wait for a flag. Once it's clear there is no flag, we're happy but for the moment that that moment of excitement is missed. But, you know, we, we have that, like, when there's a long return, a kick return or a punt return, you have that that moment of, is there a flag I don't think it really takes away. I think it can add to the excitement because you have another burst of excitement once it's clear that there isn't something that's going to take away that touchdown, that great play. So I, I don't, I, I don't think it is. I don't. It, it adds a thrill because for every great moment you have that in the back of your head, is there going to be something that takes it away? And then when you find out there isn't, you feel even better. Gong Show West penalty up on average. 
about two per game this year, assuming these penalties are valid ones. Is this bad for the game in the sense that it's detrimental to game flow and momentum, or is it good for the game in the sense violators are being held accountable? Look, this is that constant balance. And whenever somebody complains about penalties, I remember when John Gruden was at ESPN, out of all these penalties, I'm sick of these penalties. Well, a lot of these penalties are the result of somebody doing something that must be penalized. If you grab the ball carrier's face mask and start spinning them around like that airplane thing that you do with a kid where you grab their hands and you spin around like if you do that you got to throw the flag there are certain things where you have to throw the flag the question becomes how much over officiating is happening how often are flags being thrown when they don't need to be thrown holding well away from the play technical violations that have nothing to do and no bearing on the play how many of those are getting called and without breaking down each and every game play by play frame by frame call by call it's impossible to know is there an officiating problem in the nfl yes they don't pay the officials enough they all should be full-time oh we don't know what we would do with them i could figure out a schedule weekly monthly yearly you give me two hours i may not even need that i could maybe Take two hours and have time to get a a sandwich halfway through and collect my thoughts. I could come up with a schedule that would keep a full-time official occupied, keep the full-time official ready, maximize his or her preparation to do the job well. They would know the rule book inside and out. They'd be able to recite it chapter and verse. They'd be in excellent physical shape. They would have reps and reps and reps and reps and simulations. And they wouldn't ever, during football season, be thinking about anything other than their officiating jobs. I know from in the past, when I was practicing law and also at the point where we were making real money off of the website after Sprint came around in 2006... So long ago, it's almost like it never even happened. I remember thinking, man, if I would just do one of these things full time, I'd be really, 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 really good because I'm doing both and I'm doing all right. And once I threw myself into this full time, it's like, damn, I am getting a lot better at this because it's the only thing you're thinking about. Your mind's not cluttered, your time isn't cluttered, nothing is cluttered with something unrelated to the thing that you're focused on all the time, all the time, all the time. And that would be the same thing for officials. Dean Osborne, 42. If a team wanted, could they remove the nose tackle completely from the field on any given play and maybe add in an extra defensive back? Wouldn't it be better to try and stop slash block the opponent's receivers and running backs with that extra DB rather than blocking slash disrupting the center? Well, if you take out the nose tackle, like... I mean, the quarterback would just follow the center, right? Or just hand it off. I mean, no. And let me tell you, if that would ever work, Bill Belichick would have done it. You got 11 guys on defense. And this is the beauty of it. You can put those 11 guys wherever you want, but there's only 11 guys. And the formations, the primary formations that we've seen, the 3-4 and the 4-3, and and really all the other ones, you don't let the interior offensive line go uncovered 
by human beings, or they will just plow right up the middle and get ahead of steam, and they'll get their 10 yards in fewer than four plays, and they'll just keep moving and moving and moving. Paul Benjamin Fitzsimmons Dose Dose agree with you 100% about Kaepernick, but I'm curious at what point does he not get brought up when teams lie by saying they want to win and then bring in an undrafted free agent who looked good on his college's intramural flag football team or a quarterback whose last NFL job was backing up Sid Luckman. I think that we're already at that point. What's he going to do? Is he going to file another lawsuit? And I've said that he could file another lawsuit. He could file another claim, collusion claim. That his ongoing omission from consideration is now not only the product of him staying fully within what the rules allow him to do when it comes to protesting during the anthem, But now he's being retaliated against for the fact that he pursued a collusion claim, forced the NFL to pay him somewhere between five and ten million dollars, and I think that's where the final number was. And they're upset about it, and even though he's qualified and able and competent, they continue to collude against him collectively and individually. They're retaliating against him because they don't want the guy who took on the NFL and won. I don't know that he's going to do that. But when you think back to February when his collusion case was settled, Mark Garrigus, his lawyer, seemed to be very confident that someone was going to quote-unquote do the right thing and give him a job within weeks after that collusion case was settled. And Garrigus has written a lot of checks that were never cashed in this thing, and that's the latest one. And I don't know whether or not Kaepernick feels like messing with it, From a PR standpoint, I think the average person would just kind of roll his or her eyes and say, here we go again. There's some nuance to process there to realize that this second lawsuit, you'd have to have a good PR strategy to get people to understand that this is all about retaliation for the fact that he filed the first one. And when they settled the first one and believed that someone would indeed forget about what had happened and give him an opportunity. Well, no, now they're keeping him out because they're pissed they had to pay him. And we don't do business with people who sue us. And it's amazing how many people out there think that that's okay. It's amazing. So many people who think that what the NFL has done to Kaepernick is perfectly fine and perfectly acceptable. And he shouldn't say anything about it. And this is what he gets because these employers can do whatever they want to do. They're also the first people who would run straight to a lawyer's office if they got fired to find out whether or not their rights were violated. And these arguments they've made every step of the way, those are arguments that give employers, if they're accepted, the power to do whatever the hell they want to do, and they can shit on you whenever they feel like it. And I'm telling you, I I dealt with this when I practiced law. West Virginia was one of the one of the test grounds for a lot of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce positions on how to minimize the filing of lawsuits because corporate America does not like to be held accountable by average citizens. So there has been an assault over the last 20 years on the ability of the average citizen whose rights are violated by corporate America to have a platform for getting those rights vindicated through the court system. 
one way that the corporate interests out there have accomplished that is through a proliferation of arbitration agreements. And the courts have systematically upheld them, no matter how onerous they may be. You're signing these boilerplate forms. For, and, and I had a company that was going to be our new security system provider. Everything was ready. Salesman came down from Pittsburgh a couple of different times. We, we were going to make a significant investment in cameras and, and new systems. And I'm ready to go. Ball's on the tee. Here we go. Oh, yeah, one thing. You got to sign this agreement before we can proceed. And I opened the agreement. And it's one of these long arbitration agreements and indemnification and all these protections that are engineered by lawyers into the document to basically insulate the company against any rights that you would have as an individual if they screw up. They're providing you security services, and they want to be completely and totally protected against screwing up. And if they do something that violates your rights, you can't go to a court. You can't have a jury decide whether and to what extent they screwed up and what the compensation should be. You got to go to an arbitration process that isn't necessarily rigged in the favor of the companies, but as it works, one arbitrator is going to be far less likely to run away with a huge verdict than a group of average persons would be. I refuse to sign it. I'm still using my, you know, the, well, I, the company I'm with, they didn't make me sign an agreement like this. I'm sticking with them, period. Now, for a lot of people who don't have that that choice. Anyway, I, I'm, I don't want to get too far into the weeds here. My point is, before you start shouting down people like Colin Kaepernick, people like Antonio Brown, who I think is getting screwed by the NFL with this donut hole where, you know, paid leave. All paid leave doesn't hurt the players. Paid leave, they still get paid. Well, yeah, but it hurts a player who isn't employed. And there's this persistent fear that if you sign him he's going to be put on paid leave it hurts that guy because he's now on de facto unpaid suspension because nobody's going to employ him just to pay him while you figure out what you're going to do with him and then you drag your feet you kick the can and you get what you want he doesn't play at all in 2019 but see no one is going to take up for Antonio Brown because he's not sympathetic my point though is before you start saying guys like Colin Kaepernick are in the wrong. Guys like Antonio Brown are in the wrong. The employer can do whatever the employer wants to do. You ask yourself, if you get screwed by your employer or your spouse does or your child does or your brother does or your sister does or your cousin does or anyone you care about does, how are you going to feel then? Oh, well, we have rights. We need to go see a lawyer. And what I've, you know, as, as the nation swings red, one of the things that people don't understand is that, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to keep politics out of this, but this is the truth. Republican politicians are far more likely to stack the courts with judges who will be hostile to the rights of an individual and favorable to the rights of business, management, and money. And that's a very loose rule of thumb 
that is tried and true over and over and over again. Anyway, enough of that. Richard Eyde, if the Chargers moved to London, or any AFC team for that matter, would they automatically have to move out of the AFC? Even a team in Canada could make the case for being in the AFC, but not a team off-continent. I don't know. Maybe, what am I missing here? I feel like I'm missing something. Why would you have to move out of the AFC if you moved to London? What am I missing here, Richard Eyde? Tell me. London is London. Now, you don't want a team from the AFC West or the NFC West in London. I don't know what I'm missing. And here's the thing. I don't know if anyone's going to move to London. It is going to be logistically a nightmare. It is going to be difficult to create rules that will level the playing field for the team in London without creating a situation where you do so much to help the team in London. If the team in London thrives, the other 31 teams are going to say, that's only because of these more favorable salary cap rules. Could you imagine if a team went to London and then had a run over the past 20 years like the Patriots have had because they have more salary cap space or more draft picks or more whatever? It's just not going to work. It's not going to work. And then for the 31 teams in the United States, the ultimate leverage against players would be we're going to trade you to london if you if you don't start doing what you're told to do as i said earlier this week they'll have clauses and contracts a no trade to london clause people won't want to go to london you're not going to want to live in london because then you go on a three-week road trip and your family's left behind in london how do your parents come and see your games do they move to london too and then you have to worry about rooting your life in an instant if you do get traded. What if you're with a London team and you want to be there and they trade you back to Seattle? It's just not practical. And look, the one team to continue to watch is the Jaguars. When Shad Khan says he has no plans to move to London, no plans, he didn't say not now, not ever. He said no plans. You know what? Plans change. And you know when his plans change? When one of the other owners decides that they want to move their team to London. Because Shad Khan doesn't want another team going to London because once that happens, his annual gravy train in London ends where he makes more money from a game in Wembley, far more money from a game in Wembley than he makes from a game at the stadium in Jacksonville. That's when his plans will change. And that's what I first thought. Whoever leaked to the athletic, this idea that the Chargers may go to London, I thought somebody was trying to get the Jaguars to crap or get off the pot about this unofficial right of first refusal they have to London. But ultimately, I came around to the point that it's just the Rams trying to keep the Chargers down. Critical time in the history of both teams, people buying PSLs, people buying tickets, people picking a team to support in LA. If one of the teams is there and is always going to be there and there's no question about the team moving and the other team, maybe they'll move to St. Louis, maybe they'll move to San Diego, maybe they'll move to London, maybe they'll go here, maybe they'll go there. Which team are you going to choose? You're going to choose the team that isn't constantly tied to the possibility of leaving, and then you got to start all over again. JTrain33, why doesn't the media report on potential compensatory picks teams can gain by trading for veterans on expiring contracts at the deadline? Seems like this angle gets lost in analysis for deals made or not made. I think it gets mentioned. Here's the thing, though. Compensatory draft picks, you don't just, like, if you've got a guy 
who becomes a free agent and walks away and he's a good player, oh, we get a third-round pick automatically. It doesn't work that way. If you sign more unrestricted free agents than you lose, you don't get any compensatory draft picks. There is a formula that a lot of people don't understand. And then you have the opportunity to cut guys before week 10, and then that affects the compensatory draft pick formula. It really is a complicated, convoluted process that not a lot of teams fully understand. But, you know, for example, when the Packers traded HaHa Clinton Dix to Washington for a fourth-round pick, somebody asked the question of Brian Gutekunst, the Packers GM, why didn't you just let him leave in free agency and... Maybe you get a third-round compensatory pick for him in 2020 instead of a fourth-round pick in 2019. He said, well, because we and we don't intend to have compensatory draft picks, i.e. we're going to spend a lot of money on free agents, and that's exactly what they did. Trust the friendly, knowledgeable parts professionals at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Their professionals know how... Let me try that again. Trust the friendly, knowledgeable parts professionals at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Their professionals know what it takes to get the job done right, Professional technicians have counted on O'Reilly Auto Parts for years. Come see for yourself. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices. Every day, I'm looking at the clock. Got about 26 more minutes before I have to hop off for WIP in Philadelphia. And I'm just going through these one at a time. I don't know how many I'm going to get to. I'm not trying to pick and choose. I'm just going through them. Ebonculus, regarding a team relocation to London, wouldn't it be too big of a hurdle to process work visas given the timing of reporting to the team upon signing, especially when considering how often they churn. Yeah, that's just one of the other issues. And, and what, look, one, one of the things we've talked about in the past, because most Tuesdays on a normal NFL week, most Tuesdays are tryout Tuesdays, where a team will bring in a couple of receivers, a running back, whatever positions they're interested in. Just, just that constant... Whether they're looking for somebody to sign now or whether they're curious about possibly having guys ready to go in the future, the workouts that happen on Tuesday, they're an important part of being ready to go if and when the need comes to make a change. Well, what do you do if you're the London team? What do you do? You fly them to London for a workout on Tuesday? Do you ever take that? If you're, I mean, you got to be desperate to take that one especially if there's another team that wants you to work out domestically. Now, one solution would be to have the workout at the team's U.S. facility where they'll practice when they're on a three-week road trip back to the country where the other 31 teams are. But if the London team is in London then, who's there to do the workout? What do you do? How's the head coach? What, the head coach watches via uh, FaceTime? What do you do? Just another one of the reasons why I don't think it's practical. Paul Benjamin Fitzsimmons, dose, dose. Could the NFL have special rules for outside kicks? I assume you mean onside kicks. Overload one side and get a running start like they used to do, but if the ball goes more than 20 yards, then it's a legal procedure. If it doesn't, it doesn't save the surprise onside, but it'd be possible to get two scores at the end again. Look, I don't know what they need to do. At some point, they just need to go with the fourth and 15 play. Now, this year, supposedly, they're looking at ways to make the punt safer. Now that they have made the kickoff the most dangerous play in the game, as they called it, as safe as they possibly can, with changes that have happened over the years from tinkering with the kickoff point, right, 
to changing other rules regarding the incentive and disincentive to trying to return it. Now you got rid of the running start. You've got the formation. And the special teams coaches came up with this way to save the kickoff. Now they're looking at the punt, ways to make the punt safer. See, what they're trying to do is minimize, if not eliminate, the occasions where guys are running at full speed at each other in opposite directions and colliding. Look at what they've done with the blindside block, even though it's not always a blindside block. You don't want a guy who is running at or close to full speed toward one goal line getting hit by someone who's moving the other way, not even at full speed. Right? They, they want all of the contact to happen in closed quarters. And they don't like it when there's an opportunity for two guys who are moving at or close to full speed to collide. I don't know what they're going to do with the punt. But whatever the punt becomes, they need to consider this 4th and 15 play where whoever would be kicking off has the ball 4th and 15 from their own 30, their own 35, whatever they choose. And you can punt. You can go for it. You can do a fake punt. You can act like you're going for it. and You can do a quick kick. You can do whatever you want. It's 4th and 15. It's a scrimmage play. And all the other rules apply. It's just automatically 4th and 15. Gives the team that's trying to come back an opportunity to just line up and go for it. And if they convert the 15-yard play, they, they keep the ball. And that would have a higher success rate, presumably, than onside kicks. That's what they need to do. Terry Gensler in Week 12, Seattle at Philadelphia is on Sunday night. Dallas at New England and Green Bay at San Francisco are both 425. Do these games get rearranged so there is one at 1 o'clock, one at 425, and one on Sunday night football? You know, here's the good question. And, and I, I need to say this as a caveat. I don't know what they're going to do. I'm not involved in those conversations. And as far as I know, the NFL makes a decision. This isn't an NBC call. Now, the question becomes, because I assume that Dallas at New England has been protected by whichever network has it. And I assume that it's a Fox game. Typically, it would be a Fox game. But they do this cross-flex now, and I could see CBS really wanting that game. But either CBS or Fox have been pre-assigned that game. And there's that mechanism to protect games from flexing. And my guess is whoever has that game has made it damn sure that it will not be flexed. I'm looking now. Week number... I had it. Week number... Is this the right week? Here it is. Week 12. Dallas at New England is a Fox game. I would be stunned if Fox didn't protect it. Now, Fox also has kicking off at the same time Green Bay and San Francisco. And Seattle and Philadelphia would also be a Fox game. So, I doubt that Green Bay and San Francisco was protected. And look, only one of those two games... Dallas, New England, Green Bay, San Francisco is going to be the primary game at 425 Eastern. It's going to be Dallas, New England. So you take Green Bay at San Francisco to prime time. What do you do with Seattle at Philadelphia? You could slide it back to 1 o'clock. Because you put it 425, then, then you're losing that potential doubleheader. And that would be a hell of a doubleheader with Seattle, Philadelphia going to the majority of the country at 1. And then... Dallas, New England at 425, and then the night game would be Green Bay at San Francisco. That that I think that would be the best way to do it. 
Because the other 1 o'clock games on Fox, Giants at Chicago, no. Tampa Bay at Atlanta, no. Uh, Carolina at New Orleans, not bad, but meh. Detroit at Washington, no. So that's what I would, that's what I would consider. That would be my thought. One o'clock, Seattle at Philly. Four twenty-five, Dallas at New England. Primetime game, Green Bay at San Francisco. That's what I would do if it were my call, but it's not my call. I'm not involved. I'm not privy to any of the conversations, and that's the way it's been ever since I've been at NBC. Paul Benjamin Fitzsimmons Dose Dose. Why is Monday Night Football on ESPN instead of ABC? Wouldn't Disney get more money from ads and better games if it was on ABC? I know SNF is the premier game of the week, but why is MNF just TNF on Monday? Well, it's not, though, just TNF on Monday because most of the Thursday Night Football games are now broadcast. See, here's the, here's the challenge for the NFL in a nutshell. Do you take maximum dollars that you could get from a cable company that wants to parlay having the NFL package into charging maximum dollars to its subscribers? Do you want to do that? Or do you want to have the games available to the widest possible audience? It used to be that Sunday Night Football was the ESPN package. Monday Night Football was the ABC package on broadcast TV. When that flipped in 2006, Sunday Night Football became the bigger game because that's the game that is going to be sent out ultimately to the bigger audience. Because even now, so many people watch games on Fox, CBS, NBC, ABC, if it still had a package, through means other than cable and satellite. Big city, you get a TV, you get a bunch of free channels in a place like New York. You don't need to pay the money for all that stuff. There are still people who do it, and that's why the ratings are bigger on those three-letter networks. I don't know how long it stays that way, but that's the way it is. So when ESPN paid an ungodly amount for Monday Night Football back in 2006, the NFL can't say no to that. And at the time, the NFL had the cable package on Sunday, so they just shifted to Monday. But now the question becomes, as they do this next round of negotiations, does the NFL want all of its primetime games on broadcast TV? That's the, that's the way to have the biggest ratings all the time. Then you get big numbers that they have on Thursday, Sunday. You get it on Monday, too. So... That's that's where that stands, and I don't know how it's all going to play out. I don't know if ABC jumps back in. I don't know what's going on. I know the NFL would like to get to that sooner rather than later. They want to land the plane with a CBA and a new round of TV rights negotiations simultaneously if they can, I think, and they'd like to do it all Super Bowl week. And then there's a thought that the commissioner is going to walk off into the sunset after that happens. But they want to get labor peace. They want to get extended TV deals. I think there's concern that a recession is coming. I think next year there has to be concern that the ratings will be lower because of the looming presidential campaign that is going to... And I don't, I don't think the ratings next year are going to drop the way they did in 2016. In 2016, it was our introduction to the old the whole Trump dynamic. He disrupted what 
we had all, whether you like him or not, he disrupted what we previously expected and experienced when it came to presidential politics. So it was riveting. Again, whether you liked him or not, it was riveting. I don't know that it's going to be as riveting this time. I don't know that it's going to affect the NFL. And, and I hope that they don't schedule debates. I think we've already seen. Is it, is it uh, two of the presidential debates? Am I, am I right about this? Did I, am I, is it Democratic debates that are up against Thursday Night Football? Or do they already have the presidential debates for next year that like two of them are up against Thursday Night Football? I, I can't recall. But it would be better for everyone if the presidential debates are on Tuesday and Wednesday. However many there are, do it Tuesday or Wednesday. Because those are the nights when we don't have to worry about big-time college football or, more importantly, NFL football. Next question. Locker room talk. Non-football related, but R.J. Bell said that you two were born in the same hospital. Is that true? Couldn't tell if he was being serious or messing around per usual. I think I recall from when... We did PFT Live in the 12 to 3 Eastern time window, and R.J. Bell was on all the time. I think that we, like an off-air discussion or something, or, or yeah, I was born in Bel Air Hospital in Ohio, and I think he was too. So I think that's, that would be a weird thing to screw around about. Yes, we were born in the same hospital. Not at the same time, and not to the same mother, as far as I know. Venet, Virginia. Do you think the Chiefs have concerns with Mahomes playing in Mexico City next week after... The location was canceled last year. I'd like to think, I'd like to think that the field at Mexico City is not going to be a problem this year. But remember, we didn't find out until, I don't know, it felt like it was just days before they pulled the plug on that Monday night game between the Rams and the Chiefs in Mexico City that there was an issue. I've seen nothing to suggest it's going to be an issue. So I don't, I don't think the Chiefs are concerned about that. And it looks like, I, I think I saw Mahomes... Is, is definitely starting this week. Not that that's a surprise. Skull Vikings 407. Is the NFL pushing the Cowboys on the NFL fan base? This will be the third straight primetime game, or is it just a coincidence? Look, the, the Cowboys sell. Think about this. The Cowboys have not played in the NFC Championship game since 1995, and they still generate gigantic ratings. Now, they haven't been horrible, but they have not been a high-level contender. The Vikings have been in the NFC Championship four times since the Cowboys last were, 98, 2000, 2009, and 2017. The Cowboys haven't been there once. And yet the Cowboys continue to draw huge audiences. Here's what I'm looking at. Record and fact book. They either made this print a lot smaller, or maybe it is time for... uh, for some sort of visual. I can see fine. Every time I get an eye test, they tell me it's 2020. I think it's just because I I go to the same doctor every year for a physical and I've memorized all the letters. All right. Let's look at the Cowboys since 95. Have they had a horrible season? 96, they were 10 and 6. 97, they were 6 and 10. That's not great, but I have a feeling that's the worst they've been. The next year, 10 and 6. The next year, 8 and 8. And they still made the playoffs. The next year, 5-11. Okay, worse than 6-10. and 10. That was 2000. Maybe that's when they bottomed out. The next year, 5-11 and 11 again. That's when the Bill Parcells 
uh, about that time, wasn't it? They were they were five and eleven again in two thousand two. So that's as bad as they were from two thousand to 2001 to 2002 they were 5 and 11 for 3 straight years and that's when parcells came into the picture 10 and 5 6 and 10 9 and 7 9 and 7 uh, 13 and 3 that's 2007 they were the one seed that year remember that was the year that tony romo went to mexico the next year, the Cowboys fell to 9-7 and seven and didn't make it to the playoffs. 2009, 11-5. The next year, 6-10, not good. That was 2010. That was the year that that Wade Phillips was fired and Jason Garrett entered the picture. Then it's 8-8. Eight and eight. Then it's 8-8. Eight and eight. Then it's 8-8. Eight and eight. My God. Then it's 12-4. and four. That was 2014. That was the Des Cotton playoff game. Then 4-12. and 12. Now that was bad. That was the year they bottomed out and ended up with Ezekiel Elliott. So that was their worst season since 1995 they rebounded with a 13 and 3 in 2016 9 and 7 in 2017 which felt like a down year they didn't make the playoffs last year 10 and 6 and this year 5 and 3 so they they haven't had that string of horrible years except 2000 2001 2002 but they still even then with three straight 5 and 11s they still draw and that's the reality that's why they get primetime games that's why they get 4:25 p.m. eastern games they draw Venet, Virginia, Justin Tucker missed an extra point because he kicked the ball over the top of the goalpost. Why do they not make the goalpost taller to prevent this? Well, they could, but at some point, like, I don't know what you put. At some point, do you change the material? I think they could do that. I think you could ultimately put something up at the top that that is lighter. Because it, it, the farther that weight is, this is going back 35 years, and is it moment arm and and torque the more weight you have farther from that connection the more pressure it puts on the connection the more pressure it puts on the base and you don't want the thing to collapse the lighter the material is as you go higher though you don't want it to start wobbling too much in the wind you don't want it you want it to be sturdy but you don't want it to be top heavy and already those things are ridiculously like they're goofy looking I remember when they first introduced the ultra-long goalposts. It's like, oh my God. And you still have kickers who can kick over the top. Now, you know what you could do? You know what you know what's very easy to do? What's very easy to do is you put a light at the top that doesn't have to be on all the time, like a laser beam that goes straight up, up the top of the goalpost. A solid, a solid beam of light that makes it easier to see whether or not the football what does it have to be? The entire football has to be inside the outer edge of the goalpost for it to be good when it goes over the top. The entire football must be inside the outer edge for it to be good. So the presumption is, you know, you stoink it, it would have gone in. Even if it lower down, it hits, it doesn't go in. They're going to give you the benefit of the doubt. The full football is inside. So it's easy to do. It really is easy. You put a flat light at the top of the goalpost that beams straight up, yeah, now, it wouldn't be cheap, but it would be easy. I'd like to think it would be easy. You just put like a battery-powered light, LED light that beams straight up. That, that's the solution. But how often is it an issue? That's the cost-benefit analysis that the NFL engages in. Not that it's right, wrong, or otherwise, but that's what you like. How, like, we're spending money for these beams. How often are these beams going to be a factor? If it's once or twice a year, it's not really worth it. That, that would be their thinking. My my thinking would be, hey, you want to plan for that once or twice a year. And I can't imagine it costing that much for four of these lights, two 
at each stadium, two on each goalpost. So it'd be four at each stadium. Tom Marshall, a.k.a. A Red Zone Out, does this new breed of dual-threat quarterbacks, Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, etc., make a difficult for Cam Newton to be considered a lock for the Hall of Fame? I don't know that it's relevant. I think that one of the things that you look at is dominance in your era. Now, even though Cam Newton was the 2015 NFL MVP, right, that year he's the MVP. Any other year, is he one of the top five quarterbacks in the NFL? I don't think so. So I don't think that that matters. I don't think that matters. What Lamar Jackson and Deshaun Watson do. Because ultimately Cam Newton is competing loosely with the quarterbacks who played at the same time he played. If that makes any sense. And he needs more years. The, The four factors that I look at for quarterback are longevity, championships, statistical achievement, and dominance, that sense that this was a guy that we have to plan for. This is a guy that gives us fits. This is a guy who wins MVPs, who is among the best. He makes it to the All-Pro team. Everybody gets to the Pro Bowl team. Who's the first-team All-Pro? There's one guy who's the first-team All-Pro. Not per conference, for the league. Dominance, longevity, statistics, and championships. No championships, one year of ultra-dominance. Statistics, I would assume, aren't going to be close to the top. And we'll see how long Cam Newton plays. Nick Estrom, with all the PI challenges, do you think the coaches could be doing it in some sort of a protest? Like you told us one thing and you're doing another. You're still potentially hurting your team. You're still potentially hurting your team. Like Pete Carroll last week, throwing the challenge flag to prove a point and pissing away a timeout that he would have potentially benefited from later. It didn't hurt them because they, they won the game. It could have hurt them. I don't like that. And I would only throw that challenge flag to overturn a non-call of pass interference if it was something akin to T.Y. Hilton on a crossing route having his left hand held behind his back. It's really got to be egregious. And even then, there is a magic eight ball quality to it. We joke about that. But there is kind of that shake up the eight ball and who knows what the answer is going to be. But most sides of the little thing inside the eight ball that could come up your way are, nope, we're not overturning it. Brandon Dietz, we love, we see the love Lamar Jackson has been getting, but how come nobody ever mentions how good the Ravens offensive line has become? Because that's the way it goes. You only notice the offensive line when they stink. When they don't stink, when they're playing well, Oh, Lamar Jackson's great. Mark Ingram's great. The passing game's great. Everything's great. Yeah, because the offensive line's playing well. And it's only when an offensive line is dominant. Like, if you're just competent, you don't get the attention. If it's dominant, that's when you get positive attention. And if you're not good, you get plenty of negative attention. Tyler Furness, how will Washington not paying Trent Williams play out with the NFLPA and the legal system? Well, you know what? When you put a guy in NFI non-football injury list, you have the prerogative to not pay him. I I think the next fight will be whether or not his contract tolls for this year. They will say the contract tolls, that they have him under contract for two more years, not one more year. It makes him more valuable in trade in March of 2020. And I I don't know how you you can fight this and try to recharacterize it as a football injury. How do you make this a football injury? Is negligence on the part of the doctors who are employed by the football team enough to make it something other than a non-football injury. Complicity, negligence, malpractice. 
committed by team doctors. That would be the argument. Does that make it a football injury, even though it didn't happen on a football field? The fact that he was playing football with this condition and it exacerbated the condition and it got to the point where the tumor grew to an extent that after they removed it, the guy couldn't put a helmet on because of the discomfort. And so he couldn't play football. If they had acted on this earlier, instead of having him play football with this growth on his head, does that make it a football injury? That's the question. I got to go soon. Let me try to find one more good one. Let's see. Uh, a red zone Alk, who I think would maybe like to have a team in London because he's in London. Why would the NFL show concern for the Chargers affairs in L.A. when we see multiple stadiums every week with sparse crowds? Oh, I, I, I skimmed it incorrectly. You're right. Why would the NFL be concerned about the fan base in L.A. when there are sparse crowds everywhere? Atlanta, Cincinnati. See, I think the perception is and the reality is when they do have a full stadium at this 30,000-seat soccer arena in California, it's predominantly fans of the visiting team and maybe that's what's going to happen see that's why the the rams don't care stan Kroenke doesn't care he's got a 20-year lease he doesn't care who shows up as long as it's humans who are going to buy stuff beer that costs too much food that costs too much buy the seats and come whether you root for the steelers the packers the chiefs anybody but the chargers it doesn't matter but you're right why are we so concerned about the chargers when so many of these other teams can't fill the stadium? that's a good point see i was cynical about tom marshall's Question, because I was thinking he's trying to set this up to make the argument that the Chargers should move to London. All right, I think that is it. I missed some of your questions. I apologize for that. Maybe I'll try to answer some uh, just on Twitter. So check that out if you haven't if you haven't heard an answer to your question today. I got to run. Everybody have a great weekend. Check us out all weekend long at profootballtalk.com. We'll have PFT Live on Monday, PFT PM next week, everything. Just all the stuff that I always say. Just pretend I said it again, and we'll talk to you again soon.